What's up, fam? In today's interview, I'm sitting down with my personal mentor and friend, Mr. David T.S. Wood. This guy, man, for real, like he's trained over a million people all around the world on self-development, leadership development. He's this the master trainer of all trainers. Like this guy is the real deal and just the the best storyteller on earth. So this is definitely an episode that you really, really want to uh, soak your teeth into. He, um, you know, he tells all these funny stories of how he came from being, you know, broke, unhappy in jail at 15, 16, you know, leaving school at 15, right, to now being a multi, multi, multi millionaire owning an island uh, in Belize with Jack Canfield, right? Um, so we talk about how to be an authentic leader. We talk about his method of no story, no problem, and really just how to kind of go through the world, uh, adapting to what happens and how to maintain just an incredible mindset and attitude um, with pure authenticity throughout every single part of your life. It's just, this is one of the best conversations I've ever had with David. So, grab your notepads and pen. Um, This guy is going to impress you. Let's go. Welcome to the Dreaming Out Loud family where young entrepreneurs come to get inspired, learn the tips, tricks, and attitude of what it takes to live their dream life. I'm your host, Morgan Nelson, and each week, I'm going to bring you the most epic guests to share their stories and wisdom to help you expand your mind of what's truly possible in your world. All right, today's guest is best described as crazy, a rebel, a misfit, and a troublemaker, but also just as known as a humanitarian, a pinnacle leader, a multi-millionaire, an adventurer, a master educator, and a total freaking goofball. He's trained over a million students from all around the world helping them break through their fears, create freedom, and design an extraordinary lives for themselves. This man truly embodies what it means to be an authentic, adaptable leader, having led a team to summit Mount Kilimanjaro all the way to brainstorming with billionaires about changing the world. So please help me welcome the man that left Europe at the age of 20, completely clueless, angry at the world with nothing but 500 pounds in his pocket, but so curious, to now owning his own island in Belize with Jack Canfield, to, and impacting the lives of millions and millions of people all around the world. My friend, my mentor, Mr. David T.S. Wood. Hey, buddy. I'm so proud of you. You're doing your own show. And I think, you know, <laughs> it's like when you asked if I'd come on, it was like an immediate yes. And I just think, you know, way to go. Kudos to you for being ballsy and courageous and, you know, and just sort of going for it. So I really, I really, really love you and respect you. Thank you so much. I, you know, I just take a lot from you, really, and the whole ready. What do you call it? The ready, ready, fire, aim. Ready, uh, fire, aim. That's what I'm doing. I just want to show the same thing. It's like you can sort it out once it goes. You just got to have the courage to go and then figure it out and see what people like and listen to feedback and adapt, right? Yeah, and and I also knew that you you're allergic to the word no. So I'm like, you know, how do I? Ask David to come on. I just say, "Hey, David, you want to come on?" You're like, "Yes." <laughs> yeah. Then you then you just ask me a clever person. Yeah. Would you do two? So I got to say <laughs> yes and both. My two favorite words. Yes, so now I'm yes. yes and both. I love it. So you guys got to stay tuned. We have another epic episode happening with David coming in the next um, little while as well. So stay tuned for this. So, David Woody, my my man, do you want to take us back? Um, tell tell us your story. Leaving Europe at 20 years old, which wasn't that long ago for you, right? Yeah, 40 years ago. Can you believe it? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I was just one of these things. It was so accidental. I was, <clears throat> I was playing on a darts team, and we happened to win the league. And it was a big deal because darts was big there. And we played really high level. High comp- I mean, I was just sort of just below that sort of area where I could have gone pro. 
but I played darts every single day. I practiced on weekends and, you know, and I'd won the distinction that year of not losing one game in the entire season, which was very, very rare to happen because we had very high level players. So, you know, I'd gone from being the worst player on the team to actually the number one player on the team. So it was a big deal. And the captain decided that we should go away on a, a six day cultural, <laughs> you got to look at me here, Morse. <laughs> yes, yes. Cultural, <laughs> cultural <laughs> six day trip, all inclusive to a place called Tunisia, and I left school at 15, so I had no idea where Tunisia was. And for those of you listening, especially if you're American, you have no idea either, so I'm gonna tell you. It's in North America, right? Oh, North America, North Africa, I'm sorry. Uh, and so it's, it's, you know, it's a Muslim country. And I, we go there, and it was just, at the end of it, I had about 500 pounds, which would be close to $1,000 back then. And I decided I'd travel until my money ran out. But you have to understand, before that, I mean, I was running, I was a window cleaner. I worked in pubs. I worked on a market stall on Saturdays. You know, I, I, I swept chimneys. I had a, a, ch a chimney sweeping business. That's a funny story how I started that. Talk about ready, fire, aim. If you want to ask me the chimney sweep story, I've That's not good. told it on any Let's other go. podcast I've ever. never heard this story. Yeah, I've never told it. I don't, I've never even told it on stage, right? So do you want to hear it? Should we go straight yes, to the chimney? Yes, let's sweeps? go. Let's do chim, chimney, chim, chimney, chim, chim, <laughs> chimney. A sweeper's as happy as happy can be. All right. Um, so <laughs> do, do people normally sing on your show? I, no, I, I love it. You're a first for many things. Uh, there you go. Um, so anyway, so what happened was I decided because I had a window cleaning round and the window cleaning changed my life because I was, I was an employee and this was my first step into entrepreneurship and where I had control. And I was, I, was, I, was, I was making 40 pence an hour, 40 pence an hour. Imagine that. And that was like, you know, so that would have been 80 cents an hour was my wage back then. And so when I became a window cleaner, and especially once I started to understand window cleaning, uh, and I, I just went to all the villages and I, I cleaned big pubs and I cleaned manor homes and great big homes. And so the more selective I got on the kind of houses I cleaned, the more money I made. So I went from making 40 pence an hour to sometimes making 100 to 200 pounds a day, you know, cleaning windows. And I would be sitting on these roofs in these beautiful countries, drinking a cup of tea. And I kept thinking about ways I could add value. In one way, I thought, you know what? Everyone's got a chimney because I was always on these roofs as well. And I said, yeah, maybe I should become a chimney sweep, you know? And I was just that kind of guy. I was a hustler, right? Because I left school at 15 and no qualifications. And so I, I found this guy up and, I, and I, he had his, uh, window, uh, his chimney sweeping gear for sale. And so I go out and the, ready, fire, aim. Been doing it my whole life. I go out and I canvas a whole route. So I go and knock on people's door and I, and I, I get a whole day's worth of work. And this guy's going to come out with me and teach me how to chimney sweep. So I meet him in a parking lot and I've got my, my I had a, a painting van, right? And I go and I, I buy the gear from him and he's got a cold and he's got a really, really bad flu. And he says, look, Dave, I just can't come with you today. So now here I am. I have the gear, I have the appointments and I have no one. So we're in the parking lot and he's teaching me how to sweep, sweep a chimney without a chimney. We're there and he's showing me how to sweep. And you know, you've got the poles and you go and you twist and it's just this kind of movement and there's so many poles per chimney, right? Anyway, so I go to this woman's house and she, I, I can't make this stuff up, right? She's got a, a shag pile carpet, but it's like a cream colored shag pile carpet. So I walk in there and I said to her, I said, listen, I said, I'm very particular about how I work. Now, remember, I've never ever swept a chimney in my whole life. I said, so I don't, allow, I, I don't allow <laughs> um, clients to be in the room when I'm working. So please, if you could go in the kitchen. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I get this big tar around. Here I am. I'm like, and there's like a cream carpet everywhere. So anyway, anyway, that's how I started my chimney sweeping business. Was that? And I did the whole day, and I learned as I went, and I had some mishaps and oh, lots of things. But that's that's how I kind of grew. Um, so going back, I end up in Tunisia. I end up going traveling, and I was so scared because I never, you know, everyone I knew in England, we were doing drugs, alcohol. You know, it was, even though I was a business hustler, my whole social life was just, there was a lot of, you know, gray areas in what I was doing because I didn't know anyone who had real integrity. Everyone I knew was a bit of a scammer, mm. right? And so here I am, I'm in Tunisia and these guys leave, my 12 friends, and I turn around for the first time in a foreign country, a Muslim country, and more I was wearing a muscle shirt, right? Tight. And back then, you think, we're talking about 40 years ago, I got tight, tight jean shorts on that are all frayed. You can see what religion I was. It was so, they were so tight, right? <laughs> and, and I turn around, and you're in a Muslim country. You're in a Muslim country where, you, you know, you're not meant to show skin. I didn't know that. So everyone was hostile to me, and I didn't know I was creating it, so I was even more terrified. So I locked myself in a hotel room for seven days, and I spent half my money. And finally, I thought, i got to go. i just got to get moving. I wanna, and I kept thinking I'm going to get more stamps in my passport, and I was going to show everyone where I've been. Because that's what I was doing it for. It wasn't about me at all. Anyway, that journey lasted 10 and a half years, 42 countries. When I finally left that hotel room, and how ridiculous I was. I went to a travel agent in Tunis, right? And I asked them, because I'd heard that Israel was a great place for travelers to go. So I tried to buy a ticket from a Muslim country to Israel. Well, they don't recognize Israel. They know a country called Palestine. I had no idea because I had no clue about the world or myself. And so I'm arguing with the guy. I said, of course there's a country called Israel. Oh, and the guy's like, no, there's no country called Israel. So anyway, so I ended up flying to Egypt. And so my first real adventure on my own that I traveled alone was going into Egypt. I got ripped off the first night. And that set the tone for the rest of my journey. And it really sort of started to wise me up took about a year and a half before I stopped being afraid. And I remember the day it happened, I was in Israel. And I'd been living in Israel for a year. And one day, I just stopped being scared. And I just started to really notice things. I started to notice people. I started to notice. And, and, and instead of being scared, I started to really be fascinated by everything around me. And I started to put myself in situations. So it was kind of, you know, it set the tone for the rest of my life, really. What, what do you mean you were doing it for other people? Well, I think that a lot of us do, you know, why do people buy new cars, you know, especially if they can't afford them, right? So most people, I know a next show we're going to do, we'll do on money. It's one of my specialties, mm -hmm. but most people have a car payment, but they don't buy a new car just for themselves. They buy a new car because they want other people to see them in that new car. And that's the reason why we get seduced into having car payments is because we feel better about ourselves if people see us in a car. We don't generally buy it for ourselves. And now if you're a really passionate car guy out there or girl, and you really want to have a certain car and it's expensive. I understand that. But most of us, we buy things we can't afford to, to, to please others. For me, I wanted to stamp, get stamps in my passport so I could go home and say, hey, look, this is where I've been. And it was all about that. It was nothing about me. And I was so scared anyway. You know, <clears throat> excuse me, I was so scared anyway. So I'm just choking it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's funny that, that, what's that saying? Like people, you know, stop going broke, trying to look rich. And, and, uh, you know, stop buying shit to impress people that you don't even like. Yeah. <laughs> right. well, some of the richest people I know, uh, are some of the, you know, really, they just, they just don't worry in the same way. They don't, they're, they're not trying to put, no, I'm talking about rich, happy people, mm. you know, 
it's not about what they have necessarily. It's about what they, how they live their life is what, what stirs their soul. And because they can afford to do certain things, a lot of my very wealthy friends have real passions and, and are really fascinated by, by, by contributing in either collecting things that will live on beyond them or, you know, contributing to organizations that they can expand. So it's just a different mindset versus, you know, going out and buying a car you can't afford and having a car payment you can't afford. And then when shit like this happens, like we're in the pandemic right now, a lot of people just, you know, they're really struggling because they're just sort of stretched as far as they can go, right? Yeah. So, so 10 and a half year journey, and I know that left, uh, I think you ended that up in Canada, I, I believe. What, yeah. how, how did, um, what's the next part of your journey? Like getting into business, you know, you got into network marketing, you got into coaching, self-development and, and turning into, like how, how do you just go from being this backpacker wearing short shorts um, shorter than, than um, Freddie Mercury <laughs> to now be on, like that's, that's, a, that's an inside joke. We were at an event where he dressed up as Freddie hey, Mercury. Yeah, I've never seen... <laughs> I've never seen smaller shorts on a human being before. I don't even, I think he used a shoehorn to get in them, to be honest. <laughs> so yeah, a little bit of context around this. We, um, we did a leadership retreat, was it last year, right? With you here on the Gold Coast. And uh, it was 80 of us or something. And one of the things to do as a team, we had to put together a Broadway musical, wasn't it? Within like two days. Uh, and it was just mayhem trying to organize this crap as a team and figuring Costumes. out people's right yeah. <laughs> and then um choreography yeah, yeah. <laughs> what long story short what it ended in was um i was like i just gotta have some fun with this and i dressed up as freddie mercury i drank a bottle of wine i think we had half a bottle of tequila <laughs> before i got up and performed it and uh yeah that <laughs> there was many photos from you that. look like a man with that little mustache and you right. know your short shorts and <clears throat> your movements were awesome you, did. you do one thing is how you do everything if i'm gonna do freddie mercury i'm gonna do it freaking good yeah <laughs> uh, but so so how how did um how did this all kind of turn how did all this turn into doing what you're doing today uh, you know i didn't turn over overnight what happened was i learned some things traveling that i didn't know i'd learned and the thing that really the 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 thing that really changed my life was leaving my my comfort zone one thing but leave leaving people behind if I'd stayed in England, I'd be thinking like I was back then, you know, and I didn't, you know, I had to sort of, you know, environment plays such a big role. I didn't realize how important environment was. So I, you know, in leaving the way that I did, I left the environment and the influences that I had. So when I started traveling, you know, I started to pick up, I, you know, I was meeting Swiss people and German people and Belgian people, and people all in these different countries had different mindsets and different ways of behaving. So I started to witness the world differently from this council estate I grew up in in England, right? And so, you know, you start hearing things and all of those things you hear and you see and you model, and that's why personal development is so cool because you normally go to an event and you hear something new and it sort of starts to stir the brain up and you start to question what you're currently doing and start to, to sort of reprogram ourselves. Um, so when I arrived in Canada, I actually, my first job, I was a, um, I cleaned rooms at the Admiral Motel in Victoria. It's now called the Admiral Hotel. Alan and Jean still own it, I believe. And so it was only, this was in 91, 1991. And then I worked in the afternoons, at, uh, it's called Bob's Fish and Ships. It's a fish and chip shop floating, one of the best fish and chip shops in the world, I think. And, and while I was working at that fish and chip shop, uh, the guy came in there, he, he owned a fishing boat and it had sunk at the wharf because of a, 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 like a, 
a $12 valve had broken. And his, so while his boat was getting pumped out and everything else, like the engine was getting redone, he'd come down and have fish and chips every day and him and I became friends. And I, I remember I was illegal in Canada at the time. And I kept saying to him, I said, you know, I'd love to come and work on your fishing boat. And he said, Dave, he says, if you can get a permit to be on the boat, he says, and he was, he was, uh, he had a diving boat. He was diving for sea urchins. And so it meant that we'd be on the West coast of Vancouver Island in the kelp beds with the orcas and the seals. And for me, it was the most incredible thing. He said, you just got to get this permit. So I went down the permit office and there was a cute girl in there. So I took her out for dinner. <laughs> anyway, so I got the permit and I ended up going on this, on this boat. And in this boat, listen to this, it's so crazy how synchronicity, if you really follow synchronicity, so many people are rigid in their construction of life, but if you follow the path of synchronicity, and that's what we could do a whole show on just on synchronicity. Um, I go and I live on this boat. Now, it's such a tiny boat. There's no room for me to sleep inside. So I've got my guitar, I'm sleeping on deck, and it's the most breathtaking, unbelievable thing. And the wheelhouse was just big enough. The boat was built in 1940-something. Wheelhouse was just big enough for my shoulders. And on the, by the wheel, there was a picture of Lake Louise, which is one of the most famous uh, landmarks in Canada. And so I kept thinking, I've got to go and see Lake Louise. I've got to go see Lake Louise. I've got to see Lake Louise. And in my mind, I had this picture because I was leaving Canada. I had no intention to stay in Canada. I wanted to go to Iceland. And so I was actually to go cross country, go to Iceland, and that was my goal, right? And so I thought, I've got to get to Lake Louise. Anyway, so I leave the island, get off the boat, and with, I worked with him for a couple of months. And then... I get to Vancouver and I was a Monty Python fan. I know this is a long story, but a Monty Python fan and a fish called Wonder was playing in the theater. And I thought, I got to go see this with John Cleese. So I go into the theater and I sit in front of these three girls and one of them taps me on the shoulder. She's like, you know, she said this, the whole theater is empty. There's only four of us in the whole theater. She said, any chance you could just move over two seats? I said, I'm so sorry, of course. So I move over two seats and watch the movie. <laughs> the, this whole entire cinema is empty. There's three girls and you go. Yeah, and, sit yeah, and I sit right in front of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. looking for opportunity. Anyway, this, her name's Monique McLaughlin. If she's listening, this would be so cool. Anyway, so as we're walking out the cinema, this is what I said to her. Remember, I'm a backpacker. I'm just getting, I, I want to get to Lake Louise. That's where I'm going. I'm in Vancouver. I says, do you love to cook? She said, yeah. I said, you know, I love to eat. I think you should invite me for dinner. <laughs> so she did. I ended up spending a month living with these three girls. And that's how my life was. It was kind of these twists and turns and twists and turns. And then I had to, finally, after a month of living with them, I took a bus from Vancouver and it was nine hours to get to the city I'm in right now, Kelowna, through the old, and nine hours on a bus. So in the end, I get off the bus, put my backpack and my guitar in the locker at the, at the bus station. And I walk into town, I go to a restaurant, and I'm in a lineup at this restaurant, and a girl walks up to me, Sandy Fazan. She's a police officer now. She's, she, she works here in Kelowna. She said, are you alone? I said, yeah. She said, why don't you come join us? So I sat down at this table, and Sandy Fazan introduced me to the manager who gave me a job as a dishwasher. They knew I was illegal. Now, the guy that owns that, this, is, this was a one restaurant deal. Now it's 13 restaurants. And Reg Henry, the guy who owns it, is a good friend of mine now. Right? He's very, very successful. But I became a dishwasher. And so I'm working illegally. And the guys wouldn't clear their plates. So every time they came in, they wouldn't clear their plates. I'd squirt them with water. And in the end, the manager came in and said, you keep making the waiters well. I said, well, they won't clean their plates. I said, why don't you give me a chance to be a waiter? And I promise you, I'm going to show you how to And I became a waiter and I started rocking it because years and years of traveling and I tell jokes and stories. And finally, I became a waiter and I was making a bull load of money. But they, anyway, this is how I started. 
as an illegal waiter, and then someone introduced me to network marketing. So when I was introduced to network marketing, I was making $4 an hour as a waiter. And, but I was living life. I, was, I actually had a bed under a ping pong table at my friend Keith Tapley's house. And five of the people I met that night, five of the people I met that particular night in Kelowna, all close friends of mine, and I see them still today. Is that crazy? That's wild. And, yeah, anyway, so, and then, you know, when I got into network marketing, I was forced to think differently. They, they asked me to read a book called Think and Grow Rich. And, and I really thought, well, geez, you know, if I really can change my thinking, I can change my world. If I have the right vehicle, I can change my will. And I believed him. So I went to work and, you know, that started to happen. And I remember having my first $10,000 a month and looking at this check and I almost cried because I thought, you know, my whole life I was told that I wouldn't amount to anything. I was going to end up in jail. I was going to end up on the streets, which I did, <laughs> right? Both. Um, but this $10,000 check said something to me. It's like, oh my gosh. So if I keep sort of growing this and if I keep, you know, helping people, and I'm in the right vehicle, could I create real wealth? And so I remember going to 20,000 and 30,000, 40, and suddenly you know, my, my whole mindset around money shifted. And, and you know, fast forward to today, you know, I, I'm very fortunate. I live what I consider to be the perfect life, and you know my life, mm -hmm. a life by design. And so that's kind of it. I hope that wasn't too long a story. <laughs> if you've nodded that. off at home, wake up. <laughs> No, I love that. And like, there's only some, so many people that you can actually tell a really good story. Um, I, me included. That's why I went, <laughs> me and you together on a night out. That's why like every time we catch up uh, and, and I might add like one of your superpowers because one of David's superpowers is bound to just drink endlessly without getting drunk and a hangover doesn't actually exist. So <laughs> every time we're- you, you, What's my favorite saying? Don't run with the big dogs if you're going to piss like a pup. <laughs> yes. I love <laughs> I love it. And yeah, that's, that's what like, I, I say, I say people all the time, like nothing from the past exists in the present, including a hangover, get over right. it, just deal with it and adapt to it. Yeah. So I love that. Um, so talk to us a bit about, I know you love teaching leadership. Like you teach so many different things. Um, but one of your huge strengths is teaching leadership and how to just be an empowered, authentic, um, leader. You want to talk into a little bit about this? Where does it all kind of start? Well, like, what's the, there's, I know there's five, there's five different well, levels and everything, right? Well, yeah, well, John Maxwell will talk about the five different levels of leadership, which I can go through if you want. But, you know, the leadership, though, if you think about what the term leadership is, and Maxwell describes it as the power to influence. So every single one of us are influencing things every single day. Our bank accounts, our bodies, our families, our friends. So we're all, we're all leaders of some kind. And, but some of us are so unconscious that we're not consciously leading. We're non-consciously leading, let's say, and some of us are leading ourselves to being broke. Some of us are leading ourselves to being unhealthy. Some of us are leading ourselves, but we're leading in some form or fashion. Results never lie. So what happens is the results, I always say, is immediate feedback from the universe. And I'm not woo-woo, as you can tell, but immediate feedback is, look, if you look in the mirror and you're naked and you don't like what you see, that's a result. If you look in the bank account and there's no money, that's a result. If you look at your, you know, all these different things. So, you know, what you want to do as a, as a leader, or first of all, is look at your results and say, are these the results I want? Do I have the life I want? Do I have the relationship I want? Do I have the friends I want? And if not, then you got, this is where leadership comes in, the power to influence. And one of the great powers we have is to influence our own outcomes, to influence our own life. So first of all, the, the, for me, everyone's leading. 
and some of us just leading in a way which is so unconscious and leading us to things we don't want and some are more conscious and leading things to what we want. So the results are what tells us where we're moving. So with that being said, you know, one of the, I think one of the key factors of great leadership is trust. And trust is something which a lot of us, you know, we dabble with trust. You know, we, we say yes when we mean no. We say no when we mean yes. We tell half truth, you know, and I, I give this example quite often. You know, for example, I've had this conversation twice with two different women who had really bad BO, but because I care about them, I told them. So, you know, so, you know, and because I, and I, the way I told them, if you ever want to hear how I, how I set that up, but to go to someone and have absolute, come from a place of absolute love and let someone know that what's happening with their body is really, really bad. And it's actually pulling me, because I would avoid one of these people at the end of my events. I just didn't want to hug them because I knew an hour later I was going to, my shirt would still need like, like and people would think it was me. That was the big thing. Yeah. <laughs> people would come up and hug me next to be like, oh God, this guy stinks, right? You've, you've got to share this, David. How, how, like that's, 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 uh, <laughs> how, how do you hit that head on? In, well, in I found way? this, well, I get two different conversations, but I'll, I'll use the second one. And I know she won't mind because I'm not going to use her name, but great person. And I, I phoned her up one day and I said, look, um, are you having a great day? She said, yeah, great. I said, because I want to have a tough conversation with you and I want it to be a great day for you at the end of it. And I want you to know that my intention is to bring us closer together. My intention is that we have a more beautiful relationship. So these are my intentions. But if you're not ready to have a hard conversation, I don't want to do it today. I'll do it on a day when you're bulletproof. She said, no, no, today's perfect. I said, great. I said, well, again, you remember my intention? She's like, yeah, what is it? And I made her repeat it. You want to be closer and you want to be closer. Great. Okay, so you understand why I'm sharing this. She said, yeah, okay, good. I said, you know how some new age deodorants, you know, they make them and they're kind of like, they, they, they kind of, you know, they're, they're there because... They, they offer a, a different option. You know what I'm talking about? She said, yeah. Well, you know that some of them don't really work at all, right? So people use them. They're kind of rocks and crystals. But the actual, you know, the, the odor is still there. And I was going to let you know is that I started to avoid you at events because I don't believe your deodorant's working. And I realized that I started to avoid hugging you and I really want to start hugging you again. And I don't know how to tell you otherwise, but I don't think anyone else has told you. And you're so beautiful. And I just think it's maybe something you can do something about. The next time she came up to me at an event, she did this. Come on. And she said, come on. Come on. And she maybe had a little sniff under her arms. And we had this great big, great big hug, right? And to me, that leadership is that, is, is, being, is being kind enough and aware enough to, to, to do and say things that most people won't. And to live in a world of absolute clarity, you know, like no ambiguity. It's like, you know, it, it, it's, it, it really is. Um, this thing about building trust with people means that, you know, there's a consistency factor with you or a way of being that people know from, from how you show up that your intentions are pure. Even if you screw up, like I screw up all the time and I love screwing up, but I don't feel guilty about it or regret it. I just apologize for it. And someone knows that I'm doing the best I can with what I got. And sometimes I'm going to screw up because I'm going to live life, but I'm not going to be afraid of screwing up. I'm still going to walk the path that I feel is right. And so I never considered myself to be this great leader. It wasn't something I aspired to. I mean, I left school at 15, you know, I was in jail. I mean, that was not my thing. But what I found is I'm probably one of the more honest people I know, because <laughs> most people are consumed with little lies or gossip. There's another one. I mean, 
in my friend, my friend is uh, Don Miguel Ruiz. He wrote the book, The Four Agreements, right? And when Miguel talks about the four agree agreements, the first agreement is be impeccable with your word. But most people, and you're listening right now, and you have to answer this question, is do, you, do people gossip to you? And a lot of you are going to say yes. If they gossip to you, it's because you like it and because you like to gossip too. Otherwise, they wouldn't. In, uh, you'd stop it. And so gossip, I always say when people gossip to you, they're going to gossip about you. So again, I live in a world where I would rather stab my friends in the face than stab them in the back. I'd rather come to you and say, look, uh, mom, I've got an issue. I just want to talk it through because my intention, I always leave with intention. My intention is that our friendship is going to be much richer because of this conversation. And when I come from that, well, you're going to be open. I say, are you open right now? Is this a good time for us to chat? And you know, you're going to say yes or no. And if it's not, I say, don't worry. Make sure when you're ready, just give me a call and we'll have a conversation. I never force the conversation on someone. So I think that, you know, for me, trust is one of the big elements of leadership. And when you look at uh, Richard Branson or you look at uh, Warren Buffett or you look at some of the great leaders in our world, they are proven. And Oprah Winfrey was one of these people who she was one of the first people to really tell the truth on television about her weight and her struggles. Here she is. She's like a, a billionaire who can't keep weight off her body. And she was going through these immense emotional struggles, right? And so, you know, these people have shown us that there's an element, and you look at the authenticity of, of, of Richard Branson, you know, and his badass playboy attitude, but here he is, the, the inspiration of all these eight different companies, billion-dollar companies, and yet he lives on an island kite surfing and adventuring and breaking world records and ballooning around the world and the fastest to go across the Atlantic on a speedboat. So he lives his life with such passion and purpose, yet he does both. He's not, so, so when we look at him, all of us, I think, and, and you could argue with me, never get this feeling that there's anything inauthentic about him. And that, I believe, makes him such a powerful leader. And then he, one of his quotes, which I love, he says, you know, I just hire great people. Excuse me, can I swear on your show? Absolutely. Yeah, I just said, I hire great people and I just get the fuck out of the way. This is one of his quotes. You know, and so I would say, well, to go back, is that, you know, establishing a high level of trust. In other words, who are you when no one's watching? And will you be willing to show up that way when people are watching? And so when you have that congruency, the inside matches the outside, and you're willing to talk about anything. So you can ask me any question on the planet, right? There's a level of transparency, and that gives you great power. And great power is when you're not afraid to speak your absolute truth. You have absolute power. And you're not you know, living in the regret of the past and the fear of the future. You're living in the moment. So if you're a leader that lives in the moment, you're right here, right now, you know, have a vision for the future, right? I think that's the start. You said, what's the start of leadership? I believe that trust is the great start. And most people don't talk about it when they talk about leadership. They talk about qualities of leadership, right? Yeah, and I love that. And, and trust, um, you know, you can look at it in two different ways, right? Like, but I know <clears throat> to kind of, at least for me anyway, it's easy to have trust with, with people. But how about trust within ourselves? Like knowing that we can actually back back ourselves how, how can someone do you know what i'm talking about here like how yeah, can no, someone no, kind of start question. That? that's the thing that no. i only just discovered myself probably within the last 12 months i'm like wow like i have i took integrity and i keep my word and stuff but i often break it with myself yeah well i'm again and, and i do too it's not like you know being impeccable with your word is a goal <laughs> but it's not necessarily an outcome that you can always have but if you strive towards it and when you do screw up or mess up the thing is that what i just in fact i just finished a coaching call with a lady in australia and 
you know, one of the things I talked to her about because she has trouble finishing anything. So she starts books. Mm. She started 15 different books and hasn't read all the books. And I just sort of said to her, I said, look, you know, this, think about your, your personality traits. And if you're not willing to change them, then embrace them. You know, so I embrace my follies. I embrace my, the lack of focus I have. And I don't struggle with it. It's just part of, you know, I'm so interested and excited about everything. It's really hard. People say, when are you going to finish your book? Well, I've got to sit down in one spot for a long time, and it just doesn't seem to suit my personality. So I'm not struggling with it. I, I know it's going to happen, but I also living life so large. And, and, you know, I mean, I have so many hobbies. And so I said to this woman, embrace, because you can, you know, you can force yourself all right, I'm going to force myself to do it. But if you're not happy, then why do it? And I said, mm. there's lots of ways to read books. You know, there's companies right now that take a whole book and they condense it down to like 15 pages, all the main points, and you can even listen to it. So if you're not the kind of person that can sit for hours and read a book, right? So I, I just think that I embrace those follies I have. And, uh, you know, the, the, the bad parts, not the bad, but the parts of myself that don't necessarily fit into the quadrant of leadership. And really, if I can say this, Morgan, you know, you know how I live, you know where I live, you know how I work, you've been to my events. I I'm live this, like, blessed life. You know, I have more money than I can ever spend. I, I live in the most beautiful part of the world. I have incredible friends. And I have purpose. I feel like I'm on purpose with my work. But I'm, I'm completely a maverick. I, I don't play by any rules. <laughs> and because I don't play by the rules, I'm able to contribute to companies and give them things that other people can't because those other people fit into a box. And because they're trying to play the game of corporate, they, their boxes are quite small. So they come from a more limited perspective where if you're living in the world that I love to live in, then there is no box. It's just like, you know, it's, it's very vast. And the willingness, you say self-trust. So self-trust, there's two parts to it. The courage to trust yourself to adapt to and to succeed at everything you do. And now success may not be that you, you know, you're the best at it, but the idea is that everything that comes along, you know you can handle. So that's the other part of self-trust is knowing that whatever happens, I'm going to be okay. If I lost every nickel and I had to start over, I'd go back to window cleaning. If that's all I could do, I, 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 I could clean windows again. I'm not caught up in the wealth I have. It's not defining me. It's just great to have. Does that make sense? Yes, totally. <clears throat> and especially in a world like today, um, you know, there's so much like, and, and I think I truly got, like, I get a lot from you, obviously, like I, we work a lot together. We talk a lot. Um, but I, this is the first time I've shared this, but like I, I, I lost like a lot of money. Like probably I, I, I fucked up bad. I fucked up bad. I, I had, you know, just with this whole pandemic happening, I had money in places I probably should have taken it out of. Uh, and I lost about 90% of everything I have, right? Within a few minutes. And how I kind of um, accepted it was, you know, a, a friend spoke to me. He's like, hey, this is what just happened. And I'm like, shit. I'm like, so will it bounce back? Can we get it back? He's like, no, it's at zero. Like it's zero to add. It's everything that was in there is gone. And I'm like, okay, are you okay? <laughs> and, and he was like, yeah, I'm like, I'm okay. Cause he lost a, money, a lot of money as well. I'm like, cool. Well, let's, you know, I've got shit to do today. You know? And then that was just kind of it. And it's just like that. I like knowing I had no attachment to anything that was keeping me a certain way, but then also backing myself and trust myself knowing that, well, you know what? Maybe it's time to stick like, learn a lesson what can i learn here and take some more fucking action because like i need you know 
let's go work. <laughs> let's go get that money back. But not not stressing about, not freaking out about, and just fully trusting and and knowing the process and being able to kind of like adapt to it. Yeah. Well, adapting adapting is because once something's happened for those of you listening right now look whatever happens and if you go on my instagram and you can read a story about when i was told that my house was on fire you know and in fact i wish i could pick up the screen and show you because the mm. tree that was hit by lightning is right here but my friend was on his boat across the lake and phoned me and says dave your house is on fire the fire brigade's there it's just like completely in flames and i'm at a, a, a concert downtown and so i was with my girlfriend and I said to the bartender, I said, excuse me, can I get two tequilas, please? <laughs> and so I sat there and we slowly sipped this tequila because I thought, you know, the fire brigade is there. It's not my job to put fires out. I mean, I could run home and what? what? So I didn't. And we said, I said, look, I want to make a toast to that beautiful home I've had. I said, apparently it may be gone by the time we get home or at least damaged. Or, so I'm going to toast it. And we just sat and we sipped it and I drove home slowly. And finally what happened was the mountain was on fire. And where his boat was, it looked like the house was engulfed in flames from his vantage point. And of course, the house didn't get damaged. And we ended up having an all-night party. And it was hilarious because some of the neighbors I hadn't even met because they were from two streets over came over to help put the fire out. It took four and a half hours to put the fire out. It was crazy. And then it restarted the next day because the lightning had gone down the tree and all the roots underground were on fire. So as soon as you put it out, suddenly it would just come back up again. But at one point, two o'clock in the morning, and my neighbor over here is a priest. And he's got the sweetest family on earth. I mean, like butter doesn't melt in his mouth. And the other neighbor is a miner. And every word that comes out of his mouth is a profanity. And they were all together. And, and then there's like, you. And there's, you know, <laughs> Which yeah. is the, the two blended together. <laughs> yeah. Half priest, half profanity. Right? But, but that's it. you know. That, but because let's say the house had been gone, I was completely willing to accept that moment because I can't change it. I can't go back and wish the fire hadn't happened. The only thing I can do if I really want to lead my life with authority is accept everything that happens the moment it happens. Car gets crashed, you just accept it, it's gone. It's just gone, it's, 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 it's done. And so the quicker, and that's what I love about your story with money, the, the more quickly you practice adapting to what is and not what you wish was, I'll say that again, quicker you adapt to what is happening versus what you wish was happening, then you have, again, ultimate power because you just go back, guess what? It's gone. And then what I'll do is I'm going to focus, take the lesson, focus, and then start right now. Start this moment, right? Do you want to share your no story, no problem? For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, I think this is so, this is so fitting because in, in leadership, I, I think like just sitting here talking to you right now, I think one of the biggest things in leadership to be is just authentic and trusting, but being able to adapt and just accept everything for what is yeah you know and I, this philosophy i teach this at one of my events that you've been to a few times and um and a good uh, uh, maybe i'll give a, a contextual story mm -hmm. uh you know i was in my car one time my kids were in the back and i just turned around i stopped at a stop, stop line and my son was kind of playing with a bike helmet and i turned around and talked to him and a, and a cement truck hit the car and rode off the car. I mean, I was I was in rehab for quite a long time because I was turned. And anyway, you know, you know, posture to be hit like that with a cement truck. Anyway, I get out. There's glass everywhere. The kids are screaming, and the truck driver gets out. He was light, lighting a cigarette, and so he was like shaking. He was quite short, stocky little guy. He had a white t-shirt on, and I walked up to him and I says, "Are you okay?" And he's like, "I'm sorry, man. I was just lighting a cigarette." He's in shock because his glass. He could hear the kids screaming. I said, "No, are you okay?" He says, yeah, sorry. I said, don't worry. I said, listen, I'm, I'm, I drive with one knee 
you know, I, you know, I'm cooking eggs in the back. I've got the hairdryer out in my, you know, I mean, I, I often drive and do other things. I said, don't worry about it. Come here. I said, are you okay? I gave him a hug and he was so shocked. And the kids were fine. I mean, they were, they were, they were in car seats. So they were scared, but they were fine. So the story was the car was written off and this, oh, sorry. The event was the car was written off the story. I get to give it right. I get to give the story to, and so if I make him a bad story, what an asshole. I can't believe he was writing a cigarette. I can't believe he wasn't paying attention. Because what we do is we often look through a filter. It's like when people give someone the bird or get angry when someone drives. I always giggle. When someone does something weird or they cut in front of me, I just, it makes me laugh because I think, oh God, I've probably done that a thousand times. You know, because I always make mistakes on the road. I, I think I'm a really good driver. I haven't had many accidents, although I just talked about one. Uh, <laughs> But another example with that, I tell this story on stage, is where I was, um, I was in an elevator here in Kelowna at the, uh, the Grand Hotel, and I had an event the next morning, five o'clock start, and the elevator stuck. And I'm like, oh, right, you know? And so I phoned down, I said, excuse me, I says, uh, I'm stuck in the elevator. And the guy says, okay. I said, would you want me to open the doors? I think it's stuck between floors. He said, no, 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 don't do that, it's really dangerous. He said, we'll send someone down. I said, okay. So I'm in the elevator and there's got like six or eight halogen bulbs in there. So I don't know how, why they have so many lights and it's really hot and I'm stuck alone. I always had this fantasy if I was ever going to be stuck in an elevator, I wanted to have a hot bird in there, but no, no, I'm alone. And I'm wearing flip-flops and shorts. So I lay down on the ground. I thought, I'm just going to have a little nap. I, oh no, actually the guy comes first. And he says, uh, hello. He says, is this David? I said, yep. He says, okay. He says, we're sending for help. I said, would you want me to open the door? He says, no, 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 no. It's too dangerous. He said, we'll have help. I said, okay. I said, I'm going to have a little sleep there. He said, okay. So I lay down. I put the flip-flops across my eyes because it's so bright. And guess what? Five minutes later, David? Yeah. You still okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just sleeping. <laughs> Ten minutes later, David? <clears throat> yeah. Still sleeping. He kept going on and on. Anyway, I'm in there for four hours. Four hours. Right? And I had already... In the end, this is what happened. He says, Dave, we can't open it. You'll have to open the door for us after four hours. So I had to pull it open. And any of you have been in the situation before, I had to reach up and had to pull a latch and they couldn't get this latch to open. So I'm, I'm trapped between two floors. So the elevator is like this and there's the two floors. I reach up, open the latch, pull it open. And there standing is the manager, the assistant manager. There's a couple of staff members. There's someone from the fire brigade. There's someone from the lift company. They're all standing there. And they all look like scolded children because they're expecting me to come out of that elevator one pissed off person. And all I did was this, I got out, I went, I gave the guy a hug, I said, good night, good night. And this light voice, good night, good night, good night, good night, good night. And I walked off to bed. I didn't ask for a refund, I didn't speak about, and their faces were like this. They were so shocked. <laughs> so event, stuck in the elevator. The story, I get to give it. And I love to do the opposite of what anyone would think would be normal, right? I mean, Because normal be sucks. Because I can't go back in time. I, but now I have this great story, which I, the next day when I told this story on stage, people were laughing. You know, I told it from really, really fresh. But this is years later. I'm still telling the same freaking story. But because the event plus a story equals a problem. Same event, no story, no problem. So what we get to control is a story. And what I love, even like if I, I, I met a guy who'd uh, broken his back at the X Games. And he told me his story and his wife said to me, and he was with his 10 year old son, his wife said to me, he says, you know what? Since the day he broke his back, he said, don't worry, honey, everything's gonna be fine. She said he never complained once. And so since he broke his back, he's now competing in the X Games, right? Or Para, Para X Games, right? But 
he said to me, he says, you know, the be- listen to these words. He said, the, the best thing about breaking my back, David, do you know what it is? I'm thinking, no, no, tell me, Jim. What is the best thing about breaking your back? He said, I discovered my true love, which is carving. So he became a carver. So he carved soapstone carvings. And here he is. The moment he opened his eyes, he was fine. And I believe if I lost my legs, if I was in a burn, if I became a burn victim, whatever it is, I know when I open my eyes, I know exactly what I'm going to say. Don't worry, honey. Everything's going to be fine. Because I've decided already that whatever happens, I'm going to, because I can't go back and wish I didn't break my back. I got to go with the idea. Now, and by the way, I always joke about this on stage. I'm 60 and I'm in this body. There's no way I'm going to the Olympics in this body. Right? I'm pretty fit. But if I broke my back, there is a damn good chance I could end up in the Paralympics, sailing, doing something, right? Because suddenly, so I actually think it would just open up a whole new, and I'll probably sit down and write my book then, eh? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right? So that's the philosophy. It's the one I live by. And I get tested, I recently tested with my son with this. And things happen like the fire. That's another example of that. Yeah, cheers. Just event, no story. House burns down. No story. What, what do you do? Wish you hadn't? Be sad yeah. for 12 months, right? Now, if you don't have insurance, it could be devastating. But otherwise, guess what? It's just a house gone. You know, and most of us, we could lose a lot of crap. A lot of you got a lot of crap. The reason you don't move homes is you've got so much crap. A good <laughs> fire would probably clean it all out for you. <laughs> um, I love this. And there, there's one thing that I, I do on top of that, right? So when, when shit happens to me, I firstly think, well, you know, no story. But then I think, what can I learn here? And what can I make of it? So um, exactly almost, like almost a year ago, I was in Colombia, um, having a wild time in Colombia, right? And I'm sitting at the airport and my, my, I was meant to, I was on a connecting flight. I was meant to meet with a bunch of my mates in Cartagena. Have you been to Cartagena, Colombia? No. You got it. It's amazing. Okay. It's where the women with the fruit on their head and it's beautiful there. It's so, it's so amazing. And we're all organizing to go there with Gabby. Gabby Dean was coming, Adam Nesbitt. We had a lot of friends coming in there. It was going to be incredible. And I'm sitting at the airport in Bogota. And it's, you kind of have to like just watch your stuff. And, you know, I don't watch my stuff. I just trust everything. And I forgot I was in Colombia. Someone steals my backpack. They, they switched my backpack. In my backpack, I had my laptop. I had my AirPods. I had my passport uh, and, and a few things. And I was like, damn it. I'm like, man, I'm going to catch a flight. So I was like, screw it. I'll figure out when I get to Cartagena. I go to my plane and I go, I don't have a passport. <laughs> I'm like, I'm fucked. I'm like, okay, well, let's check out Bogota. Because this is where I am and let's just see what this city has to offer. So I go to the embassy, get a new passport, whatever. And then it was across Easter weekend, right? And the, the US embassy was closed. So I couldn't go and get a new uh, US visa because I was meant to have meetings in California and all this stuff. And I'm like, yo, well, that's not happening now. Now I'm going to check out uh, uh, Colombia. I got this new passport and I couldn't go anywhere other than just some countries that would let me in on that passport. So I told um, Cameron, I said, look, you go to America. I'm going to change my flights. I'll link up with you and San Fran. We'll fly home together. Uh, I'll connect with you in the airport. So I said, peace. I'll see you in a couple of days. Two days turned into two months because I, got, I went to Mexico and I, they, wouldn't leave me, they wouldn't let me leave Mexico then. I couldn't fly to the US on this passport. I couldn't fly to Canada. I couldn't fly to China. I couldn't fly all the major hubs that you'd get home from Mexico. And I couldn't go to Indonesia where we were living. So I was just like, man, well, what can I learn here? Maybe watch my shit a little bit better next time. And what can I make of this? I'm in my favorite country. So I was like, una mas margarita, una mas taco, <laughs> let's go. And I stayed in Mexico for almost four weeks uh, until my friend could get me a flight home 
without charge without me spending about five thousand dollars flying reti- uh, stupid ways or uh coming from america right so <laughs> i just i just adapted to it and then and then i had to go home and get a new passport then i could finally go back to to bali yeah so david this has been so much fun um where can people find you on social media and on your new podcast well my new podcast is called my extra mile and it's conversations with david ts wood on youtube uh we just launched it two days ago uh we just luckily today we hit 1300 views which is apparently a big deal i didn't know that but to get your first thousand views is a big deal mm. um so you know it's uh i talk about everything you know I, I interview i'll interview pioneers disruptors influencers leaders mavericks goofballs and just really sort of extract those small incremental things that you can do and add to your life uh but i've done four hours already with a relationship coach. She's unbelievable. We did one whole show on designing a fight plan. So those of you that are lovers or you have a partner, how to fight more beautifully and elegantly so that you can have great fights with your partner that don't erode a relationship, but explode and expand it. I've done uh, hours with a show about money. I brought four uh, four money experts. And I say experts, people who buy results, four very different points of view, two Aussies, two Canadians, and We've spoke for hours about money and their different strategies around money and how to create wealth, their side hustle, you know, how to, how to manage debt, how to get out of debt. So that's exciting. And then a lot of network marketing because I obviously, you know, everyone's looking for a way. So we have these conversations. But my Instagram is David T.S. Wood. My Facebook is David T.S. Wood. And the extra mile, you can go to David T.S. Wood on, um, on YouTube and come and play. I always say, come join the conversation. And as you can tell, I'm a big goofy. <laughs> I love it. David, to wrap this up, I'm going to ask you a question. Are you ready? I'm ready. Ready, baby. If you were to go back to your 18-year-old self, 18-year-old David, and give yourself 30 seconds of advice, what would it be? You know, um, <laughs> I, would, I would probably tell myself to become more honest sooner. I would just say like, you know, it's okay to tell the truth. I I lived in such a lie for so long and I lied so much, but just to say, you know, it's okay. It's okay to be absolutely truthful. And I think the power of truth changed my life. It allowed me to have everything I have. We started with that. You asked me about leadership and I talked about truth, but I was dishonest for so long. I mean, no, I mean, again, I went to jail. I remember sitting in jail handcuffed, but I wouldn't change anything else. Just tell the truth sooner. All the mistakes, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back and warn me against the mistakes because every one of those mistakes added color and texture and lessons. I wouldn't change any of those things. Just, hey, it's okay to tell the truth. And the absolute truth, not half-truths, not little truths, not you know, versions of truth, but just tell it. I never say my eight most favorite words, this is one of my sayings, tell the truth all the time with compassion. But that compassion part, like the, the deodorant story, the compassion part was me setting it up with the intention. My intention is for us to be closer, to have a richer friendship. That's the compassion part. The absolute truth is you just think. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Guys, if you know anyone else who is as passionate for life as they are successful, then please send them my way. I'd absolutely love to have them on the show. As Zig Ziglar says, if you help enough people get what they want in life, you'll have everything you want. So that's why each month I'm choosing one lucky person who has left a review to have a free private 30-minute coaching call with me. So guys, if you got some value or inspiration from this, it goes such a long way. If you can just take 10 seconds and leave a five-star review, 
and you'll go in the draw to win the call. And if you could share this with a friend, I would be forever grateful. Until next time, guys, I've got your back. Go out and dream out loud.